Blog Talk Radio. Before the hour, if you're listening live, welcome to BAMS Radio, a member of the Bama Sports Radio family. I'm your co-host, Terry Clark of BamaMag.com, joined by Thomas Watts, our producer in the studio with Touchdown Alabama Magazine, and soon to be joined when he wakes up from his afternoon nap, we hope, by Judy Armand of AlabamaIntel.com. But wow, uh, to be almost the end of March, uh, there is absolutely a ton of things going on concerning athletics at the capstone, uh, not the least of which is the search for a new basketball coach. Uh, Bill Battle and the entire Bama Nation turns its eyes, and probably the airplane we all know and love as UA-1 towards Wichita, Kansas. Meanwhile, the football team has uh, three practices in the books now out of its 15 allotted for spring. We'll talk about that and how the very early depth chart is shaking up. The Alabama baseball team is on the road tonight and on television tonight. Uh, actually, in about half an hour, they will be on the SEC network against the Florida Gators, a top five team, uh, a big time challenge. But we'll talk about a challenge that the baseball team met head on this past weekend and, and they were able to salvage a series against uh, undefeated until the second game of a doubleheader, Texas A&M. I was able to attend that game at the Hoover Met. We'll talk about that. Uh, Monday night, I was able to attend a series-salvaging softball game where uh, number two, Florida, fell in game three after taking games one and two from number five, Alabama, in softball. Uh, at the Rhodes House. Uh, I was there for that. We'll talk about what I saw Monday. Uh, So much else uh, going on. Uh, Probably the best place to start, though, now that we have been joined by Drew DeArmond, is the aforementioned search for a new basketball coach, which uh, is breathing hard. (laughs) Also, breathing hard sounds like a boss. But uh, we're turning our attention now toward Wichita, Kansas, and specifically tonight, Cleveland, Ohio. And Drew, uh, it's rare for an Alabama fan to pull for Notre Dame, but tonight all Thai fans should be hoping the fighting hours beat Wichita State so Bill Battle's search can intensify. No doubt about it. Uh, There's going to be a lot of interested people. Uh, I actually made a radio show on, on Wichita, Kansas yesterday, guys, and was basically ambushed by a clown on a show called The Press Box. He basically told me that I was a fool and didn't really know anything and 
that Greg Marshall would stay at Wichita State for two point three million per year and uh didn't really didn't really believe the financial numbers that I came up with to talk about his package. Uh also tried to convince me that the cost of living in Tuscaloosa was a lot more than Wichita. Uh, that that's yeah. uh it sounds like you had a fabulous conversation with that. Yeah. Uh, stupid is as stupid does. Is the really? best way. To, were you talking to Clay Travis? It kind of sounded like it. Maybe his other brother, Daryl, as they used to say, on Newhart. But uh, the guy was basically a clown. Uh, he, uh, Jason Marks got me on the show, who used to work in this market in Huntsville. And uh, this guy, his name's Coach something or other. It's called the Press Box. And I knew I was going on the show. I didn't really know what was going to happen. I had a feeling. But they basically are to the point where they don't believe he'll, he would ever leave Wichita to go to Alabama. Alabama's beneath them in their mind. As a basketball school, though without a miracle, that that this this to this Wichita State team, which is very very good, would not have beaten Alabama this year on their home floor. But you know, it is what it is. We'll see what happens. I do know he's going to talk to Alabama. I do know Alabama feels very good at this moment. I think I take the uh, extension to Archie Miller it doesn't mean a whole lot in the end. I mean, extensions don't mean much. I mean. Uh, two years ago, Steve Alford signed a two-year, twenty million, or two, excuse me, a ten-year, twenty million dollar one with New Mexico, and two weeks later went to UCLA. But at the same time, I think it could be a good sign, and I don't think there's any doubt Alabama's all in with Greg Marshall, and that this thing is a lot further down the road than people realize. You know something that people have not really brought up about this search, but I want to bring it up here because we like to cover all aspects of everything. Uh, a name that is familiar to diehard Alabama basketball fans, a name from the Mark Godfrey administration, a name that has seen himself go from Godfrey's director of basketball ops all the way up the food chain to an associate AD at Wichita State. Talk about what I'm now calling through the Boatwright factor. Well, you know, Darren Boatwright, he worked for Mark Godfrey, was his director of opera, you know basketball operations at Murray State and then at Alabama, and then he moved into administration at Alabama and moved on to UAB and has now ended up at Wichita State. You know, I've I had I had heard for several days that he might be a, a factor in this equation, could end up getting an associate AD's position, probably to head the basketball program for for uh, obviously uh, Greg Marshall. Boone heard in the wee hours of last night that. Someone had spoken to his camp, and supposedly he had told people that he didn't think Marshall was coming. But again, I, I was that was refuted this morning. Uh, I think they, 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 I was informed by a, a well-placed source that the gentleman that said that did not that did, that was not accurate. Now, whether or not he, you know, he, he will ultimately be a part of this, I'm talking about Darren Boatwright. Hard to say, but I do think there's a good chance he could be. Uh, his ex-wife and kids live in Tuscaloosa that he was married to at the time he worked for Coach Godfrey. He is now remarried. It would allow him to be back with his family. And, uh, again, I think Greg Marshall, one advantage Alabama's got, I think they've coached against he, – he's coached against Alabama about five times during his career at Wichita. So he knows, you know, Al, Alabama's personnel. And then the, the clown show yesterday basically tried to tell me that, you know, he couldn't get – basically tried to say that Alabama job was – not as good a job as Tennessee, California, South Carolina, NC State, and UCLA, and he'd already turned down all those schools and Missouri, so he would never go to Alabama. And then what I tried to tell Moron, and I, I, you know, I'm, I'm using this forum to say what I wanted to say to him yesterday, 
is that again I'm not I did not guarantee Greg Marshall was coming to Alabama, but all I did guarantee them is you guys can talk they were talking about well three million's nice, but he's turned that down before. And as I tried to tell those guys, gentlemen, he's never been offered what he's about to be offered. He's going to be offered over four million a year. So and the biggest recruiting budget that he can possibly ha- want, want, unlimited, and they're going to make his coaching staff among the highest paid in the country. Now, he still may decide not to go, and, and I'm sure um, Wichita State is going to counteroffer. But I, I, I doubt very seriously they can get up to $3 million a year. And they, even if they did, that's still over a million dollars left on the table. And then the, the factors that they – besides the factor that they, they can't compete with Alabama's recruiting budget – they can't compete with paying his staff that much, but the things they really can't also that they can't compete with, they can't compete with the SEC network, having every game on national television at all, and then they cannot compete with the fact that Alabama, he would be at the University of Alabama, the flagship university in a state with good basketball tradition, despite what they tried to say, that is the number one without pro sports in this state. They tried to tell me that he would never be able to deal with Bruce Pearl. Are you kidding me? As I told them, over the gone of history with Alabama basketball, which is not nearly as bad as they made it out, sound out to be, I, I told them, Alabama in the last nine years has been to one NCAA tournament. That's unacceptable. No wins. But even with that, in the history of the SEC, it's still second to Kentucky. Florida in the last 20 years is the only one that, that uh, you could put above Alabama and U.K., and who would have thought 20 years ago that Florida would be a power in basketball, but they hired the right coach? And that's what Alabama's trying to do. They're tired of being mediocre, and they want to win. They have $37 million in the bank and the SEC network. And I guarantee you if this deal gets done, there will be something done within five years for a new facility. There has to be. It has to be part of it if you want to be with a big dog. And then I was, I was told, well, he doesn't want to be second field to Nick Saban. And, and football, and then he'll be second field to Auburn in football and Bruce Pearl. And as I told them, again, when Alabama's right, when they've had the right coach in place, and they've had it for much of their history, C.M. Newton, Wimp Sanderson, and Mark Godfrey promotes his tenure, Auburn doesn't matter. He will handle Bruce Pearl. Bruce Pearl is up to Andy, but he can handle Bruce Pearl. And the thing about it is, is that the bottom line in the whole situation is, it's going to be an opportunity that he has not had before that he and, and they, they talked about him wanting to leave for a blue blood, blood basketball centric program, you know, Kentucky, Duke, uh, North Carolina, but those jobs hardly ever come open. He's never been he's going to be offered a package, as I told them, top five in the country, with the only SEC coach to be making more money. Billy, uh, excuse me, John Calipari, he'd be making even more than Billy Donovan at this moment, anyway. So, again, it would, it's going to be a major financial commitment that he will have the opportunity to take. Will he take it? I don't know. But it's going to be something that will definitely turn his head, and it would definitely be considered a crazy, a crazy offer, as he said, uh, on the Jim Rome show. So it would be something that I think is going to make him really, really think hard. And I think Alabama is in position. They're all in. They want to get him badly. I think they've even been talking to him since the Florida game, the loss in February at least his agent, as far as for interest, to gauge interest. And then I think once they decided to pull the trigger, they really started talking to him and really started to throw around figures. And so I think from what I've been told, they, they still feel really strongly about it, and now we just have to see, you know, what happens. But, again, 
uh, Alabama, it, 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 and then I told him, can't, no, he beat Wichita, Wichita State beat Kansas. They have to be, be given all the credit in the world for taking Bill Self and those guys apart and whipping their butt on national TV. But here's the bottom line, guys. They will always be number two in Kansas to, this, to the University of Kansas, or Kansas University, I should say, KU. Kansas University, they will always be number one in that state. Wichita State would always be the little brother. He would be at Alabama with the most powerful, the most powerful school in this state, with unlimited resources. And then and he's not going to be second fiddle to Nick Saban. Like I told him, Nick Saban and Terry Saban are going to recruit he and his wife. The idea Alabama has, this is not about Batman and Robin. This is about Batman and Superman and teaming up and having the most powerful combination of basketball coach and football coach in the country, and to be blunt, kicking everybody's ass in the conference and in, 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 in America and taking your basketball program where it's never been. I love the Batman-Superman analogy, and you toss in what's been a successful promotion of Dana Duckworth, uh, the continuation of excellence in the softball program. Uh, it's really a, a veritable justice league. So, uh, you know, it, it, there needs to be a little a little help maybe, possibly, perhaps, after next year at the helm of the baseball program. We'll get to that in just a couple of minutes with our first guest. That's uh, the next step. <laughs> and uh, it, it appears to me that uh, our first guest is already on hold. So uh, we're going to – he's also a big basketball guy, too. We don't have to limit this next conversation to baseball. So uh, I want to go ahead and, and, and bring on – uh, a friend of the show, uh, columnist from Tuscaloosa, uh, Roger Myers. Uh, Roger was a guest a few weeks ago and gave us an excellent preview, all of which has come true about the current baseball season. But he's also a big basketball fan. And by the way, this segment and all of Roger's calls from this day forward are sponsored by Asian Rim, excellent Thai restaurant with locations here in Birmingham at the Colonnade and in Huntsville on uh, Gallatin. So, Roger Myers, uh, I know you've only got about 15, 16 minutes before Alabama's baseball team goes on TV. How's it going tonight, man? Doing great. How about you guys? Oh, Doing we're well, good. Roger. Uh, good. I tell you what, before we get into baseball, Drew and I have spent the last 15 minutes of breaking down the fact that Alabama is uh, apparently in position to make a serious run at uh, at Greg Marshall. Are you hearing yeah. anything along those lines also in Tuscaloosa? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of the buzz around here in town. Um and really, uh, it's going to be quite odd for Bama um, Nation to be pulling so hard for Notre Dame to win tonight. <laughs> because the sooner the sooner Wichita State loses, the better better chances uh, I think of um, being able to possibly get Marshall to come. The um, if, he win, if he wins the next two and gets the Final Four, and you know somehow either gets the Final Four or, or won the whole thing, he'd, it would be that much harder to, to convince him to um, to leave. So the uh, best well, thing for us it, right now, would, for Bama right now, would be for Wichita to lose tonight. I don't think there's any doubt, Roger, but I'll say this. Um, he, he's been 35-0 and 0 at Wichita. He's been to the Final Four. Um, right. He's he's pretty much done everything he can at Wichita. And another thing I said on the on the radio station in Kansas yesterday is he's 30-4. and four. I mean, he has a great basketball team. But 30 and 4 in the SEC gets you a 1 or a 2, not a 7. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I was um I was yeah, I was shocked at their at their seeding when I, you know, I was just go judging by the record, I thought I figured they were uh, at worst a 3 and I thought, oh gosh, they're a 7. 
So um, I'll say hopefully uh, hopefully Notre Dame will um, have the luck of the Irish tonight and pull that one out. Well, here's the, the the blue devil in me is rooting for Mike Bray. I'm a Duke guy, and he's a Duke assistant, so I, I don't exactly it, – it, it won't kill me to root for Notre Dame tonight. Exactly. Here's yeah. the thing, guys. I mean, if they get by Notre Dame tonight, then Kentucky's waiting on them Saturday. So, either way, he's going to be free to talk in 48 hours if he's not free to talk right, tonight. Right, right. Yeah. I, I just I just well, assume uh, Bat will be on a plane in the morning and uh, doing the hard press. Um, you know, the sooner the better. And right, was, exactly. It was pretty odd hearing Marshall uh, address the issue before the before the game on the, I guess it was the Jim Rome show the other day. That fact yes. that he apparently he's uh, he's a pretty straightforward guy. He doesn't pull any punches. So he well, um, well, yeah, I yeah. agree, and that's what and that's what Alabama needs. <laughs> right, they need somebody that's going to come in there and and uh, be straightforward and be. I was also asked. Stupidly on this show, uh, on the on the in Wichita, would they Alabama give him full autonomy of the basketball program like they do Nick Saban in football? Hello, that's going to be I'd the first absolutely. thing he's given. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, you know. pretty much, you know, whatever he wants. I mean, somebody of that caliber. Um, yes, you know, absolutely. The question is, where you know, where do you go from there? Do you go to Shaka, or do you? Um, well, I can update you on that. I can update you from as good a source as I have. Shaka is not interested. Uh, I thought five days ago he probably was. But I think if you – even though there was talk of a – I know that there's been leaked out that he have agreed, quote, unquote, right. to an extension. But I think Archie Miller would probably be the next guy to watch. Well, I wouldn't I wouldn't hate that. I, I don't, don't particularly want it to be Tom Kareem. Uh, no, he's twelve million dollars, Roger. Uh, he's there's no yeah. way he's going anywhere. They well, they painted themselves into a corner. Yeah, even, know, he, without, even without the buyout, I, I wouldn't want him. But um, yeah, just kind of a personality thing. So anyway, yeah, so one thing about that, I'm glad yeah. you even brought that up, Roger. I ran into a mutual friend of ours the other night, Barry Allen, and uh, oh yeah, he's got friends that know Tom Crean, and he said uh, he had a call from his buddy. He said, "Look, if y'all hire Tom Crean, you better call." Uh, Aaron Douglas, your basketball media relations guy, and tell him uh, to button up, uh, to tighten his belt because it's fixing to become hell. Is Tom Green is is a jerk and uh, not a guy that anybody wants to deal with. Uh, I, I, I'm gonna play this. I, 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 I feel it's about 75 percent right now, maybe 80. That Marshall's gonna take down that. Uh, and, uh, everybody's gonna have that. Okay, there we go. All right, what we're going to okay. do, Roger, now is just turn the topic since uh, we, we really we wanted you to let you talk a little bit about basketball since I know you're a diehard okay. fan and so you can take a hold of it. But let's turn the tide now, literally and figuratively, over to baseball. Uh, okay. I was able to attend my first game of the year uh, over at the Hoover Met. Uh, I had gone in the morning to see the softball team lose the first right. one in Tuscaloosa, and then I turned around and drove back and got there in time for game two of uh, the A&M. Now, A&M came into game two of Saturday's doubleheader, which was game three of the uh, series. They came into that game 24-0, and and Alabama exactly. was able to pull out a very impressive 6-2 to win so there was a lot of optimism. Look, Alabama just knocked off undefeated, the last undefeated team, blah, 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 blah. Then turn around 48 hours later, 
and go to Mobile and lose uh, at the stadium I call the Stank. Alabama stank it up and lost three to nothing to South Alabama. It right. just seems like we're kind of dealing with a Jekyll and Hyde team in baseball. Yeah, it, we are, and um, they, you know there's some issues there, um, hitting and pitching. Um, I mean, striking out at an alarming rate and and walking at a at a nominal rate, and then then on the mound walking too many, and not, you know the ratio is just. Uh, Hitting-wise, Diamond struck out 183 times and only walked 73. And we don't have a, a single single player with more walks than strikeouts, which in looking at, you know, in researching all these other teams when we play them, there's probably, you know, two to three to four or five players on each team that have walked more than they've struck out. I mean, Mississippi State's known for walking. and I mean, but they're, they're walk, they had walked twice as much as they had struck out which was just, you know, an amazing statistic. Of course, they lead the nation in walks. But, I mean, that's part of Cohen's, Cohen's M.O. But uh, A&M was the same way. They had, you know, more more walks than strikeouts. And then and then on the mound, you know, we're throwing too many balls, throwing too many pitches. The starters haven't been able to go deep because they're either, you know, if, if they're not walking guys, they're going deep in the count and building their pitch count just going through the roof, and there's been so many injuries on the staff, on the, on the pitching side that that the um, bullpen is kind of kind of shallow right now. Um, if the starters don't get through six or seven, then you know it's it's hard. Castilla's been unbelievable out of the pen. Burroughs has been up and down, and coming off freshman All-American year, it's it's kind of been bad. But he's had a hard time. Uh, Locating and and having control over his curveball, which is his number one pitch, and he can't. He's not able to pitch inside. He can't throw strikes on the inside part of the plate, so everything's away. And left-handers are are where he's a lefty, and lefties are wearing him out. And um, you know he's just had some some very uncharacteristic moments. He's had some good ones. He's got four saves and 19 strikeouts in 15 innings, but he's also given up 20 hits and nine walks. And, the ERA is like 480 now. We're, you know, in Castilla, I kind of went through the same thing last year after being freshman All-American his freshman year. His sophomore year, he struggled. Um, he had some arm issues partly, and then I think some confidence issues um, going back to the Tallahassee Regional his freshman year when we, when Bama blew the big lead against Troy in the ninth inning with him on the mound. and he couldn't throw strikes, at, you know, in that in that particular inning. So, but he's bounced back and he's won a couple games, has three saves and 22 strikeouts in 21 innings. And you know they're not 178 average against him. So he's, you know, he's really been the glue that's held the bullpen together. And then Wilhite, J.C. Wilhite, who doubles his DH and. He's also a sidearm reliever. He's been out for over a week with um, mono, and he's not mm-hmm. going to be available this weekend, so that takes an arm out. Jay Cubbard's been out with a strained elbow. He's supposed to be available this weekend, but he hadn't thrown in two weeks. And then Jay Shaw had had a concussion, and he was out. He's been back for a week or two trying to get back into, into shape. And um, Mitch Greer's given him some good innings. And... You know he he's a one or two inning guy that can 
can get get some people out, but hard thrower. But after that, I mean, they've been using um, tried using Alex Watkins, a little lefty freshman that throws a little lollipop curveball, throws about 65 or 70, and you know is getting guys out in scrimmages right and left. But he's just been getting lit up. His his ERA is almost 15, and um, giving up I think 14 runs in six innings. So. You know they're they're pretty limited down there. Jake Walters, a freshman, has given them a big shot of the arm as a mm-hmm. Tuesday starter since Eichholz. Well, and another one, Nick Eichholz has been out. He's pitched three innings all year. And, and projection-wise, I mean, he's draft-wise for next year. I mean, he's considered one of the top sophomore prospects in the country, and he's pitched three innings. And he's had some elbow issues. So. And Oxypox already out, and, and Keller's already out. So it just kind of the, the um, available arms just keep shrinking. <laughs> so that's been an issue. And then other than uh, Mikey White and Casey Houston, you know, there's not been a whole lot of help on offense. Um, Chandler Avant has finally come around um, where they thought. They thought coming into the season that Avant would have a big, big year. Yeah, and spring workouts um, as a freshman, and he started off slow, but, I mean, he's been on a tear. He's had several multiple-hit games in the last two weeks, and he's up to 287. So he's been between uh, White and Houston, and, and Will Height was hitting over 300, but, like I say, he's not available. But those guys have been kind of carrying the, carrying the team. Overstreet's been scuffling a little bit. He, he is the third RBI guy with 18, and um, – Georgie Salem's gone into a pretty big slump and having some contact issues, um, too many strikeouts. Vincent's just kind of been the same, and Haney's Haney's not been able. I mean, he's hitting buck twenty nine, so I mean, it's, that's that's tough, and has struck out in half of that half of his at bats. So they're you know just struggling to figure out a way to score enough runs, and then keep guys off bases uh, on the pitching side. And then throwing that on top of that, every every game being a road game is kind of kind of wearing on them, the, all the travel. And there's a statistic where the for the home games this season, they will travel 2,000 miles just for home games. So that's not counting. I wonder if that stat takes into account the fact that they're uh, staying overnight uh, yeah, in yeah. Hoover at the it winter. Counts, uh, like Going up on Friday and coming back on Sunday, on the weekend. That's, that's a lot of miles. Yeah, well, they're yeah, thirteen I mean, right consider, now, Roger. You know, you had a you had a weekend. You had a home home three home games in Mobile. You got a home game in Huntsville coming up. You got a home game and um, you know, and then you got midweek games. So, and then that that didn't count. You know, headed to Florida this weekend and the other road other road SEC series. Of course, they already. Already went out to Houston, so I mean they're getting a lot of frequent flyer and frequent bus miles uh, this season. No doubt, they're uh, 13 and 10 right now, Roger. They're three and three in the league. I think there was a lot of optimism after they went to Starkville and took two out of three. That surprised me. Uh, But then they came back and only got one out of three against A and M. So they're three and three in the league. They're going to Gainesville first pitch in about five minutes, and Florida is uh, a, a top five team. Uh, and Alabama isn't even really ranked. If they were, they'd be about 38. 
Yeah. Is there a legitimate chance to, to even get one out of three in this series? Yeah, from what I'm looking at, um, tonight's matchup, uh, Gilbo, you know, obviously gives the gives the tide a good start every time out, and particularly when it's control zone. He had a couple of games where he's had a little bit of control issues, but he's been, you know, been really, really solid. And I'm not sure what Florida's doing, but they're throwing a, a guy tonight, Aaron Rhodes, that hasn't started the game all year. And... Um, has I think thirteen innings pitched on the season, which I wow. you know I'm not sure what the deal is there. And then AJ Puke or Puck P U K was a big 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 time recruit and a big guy last year. But they initially had him listed in the starting in the second game, but they're going with um, now I'm seeing they're going with um, oh oh shoot what's his name. Um, I'll tell you the logic. They're looking at the box scores and they're seeing all those zeros by Alabama's hitters. Right. That's the logic. Right. They're going to lo- with Logan Shore in the second game and then the third game, which has been, you know, Alabama's been actually good on Sundays or, or game three because Bramlett's been really solid. And, and if he typically goes up against another number three, you know, he's as talented or more talented than most people's third starter. But Florida's best guy, Dane Dunning, is going Sunday against Bramlett. So. I think um, in in Carter for Will Carter for Bama in the middle game has has struggled. He's had a, he'll he'll go three or four, possibly five good innings, but that fifth sixth inning he has he's run into trouble. Just I mean without without fail each each time. So he you know if he could get through six good innings and they have a have a shot there. But I think um, tonight or Saturday or their two best shots, Gilbo, as long as Gilbo and Bramblett are around, and they can get things shorten the game enough to get to Burroughs with his good stuff and Castilla, you know they they have a good shot. But Florida has a really good bullpen as well. <laughs> um, they have a ton of arms, ton of big arms, and um, I mean their team ERA is two seventy seven, and Bama's is three ninety, I think, three point nine zero. So, you there? Yeah, we got you. Hello? Yeah, we're here. Okay, we I'm sorry. The, the phone, my phone beeped. Um, oh, shoot. Rain and lightning in uh, Gainesville. So, there's a weather today. Uh-oh. Um, well, then we can talk a few more minutes. Uh, yeah, we don't sure. have another call yeah. until uh, 6 15. I wanted okay. to pick your brain a little bit. Uh, you know, a number of years ago, I went to a theater and, and saw a movie about a fictional baseball player named Roy Hobbs. The movie was called The Natural. It right. seems that uh, a younger clone of him, I know you call him Casey Baseball, I call him The Natural. Mm-hmm. Talk about the start that Casey Houston's off to in right field. Oh, my goodness. He has just been, you know, every, he's done everything. I mean, he's and he's dropped off the last couple of weeks. He's down to 402. <laughs> but, mm-hmm. I mean, he's yeah, for power, he got ten doubles, two triples, four home runs. Hit for average, he can run. He got nine stolen bases and nine attempts. He can throw. He's thrown out four runners, um, uh, two at the plate, and two on two on the base path. He can feel. I mean, you know, he's five five tool player, and um, you know, only a only a sophomore, but unfortunately a draft eligible sophomore. So he, he um, you know, good shot. This may be our last. Our last uh, go round with the kid because I mean he's six two two fifteen can run I mean you know he's he's got he's built like a baseball I mean he's got everything 
everything you're looking for. And he, um, it's just been tremendous. Particularly, I mean, that first series he was 11 for 13 with home <laughs> run, couple doubles, and then he goes out to Houston. And I think he goes seven for 12 out there. I mean, you know, he just, I mean, right out of the gate, just has been, just been amazing. I mean, hardworking, hardworking kid, you know, quiet, but uh, Nick, Coach Gaspard says he. He plays the game angry, though. You know, he just uh, quite a quiet intensity that um, that just uh, goes into the way he he plays. He plays the right way, and um, you know, and another guy that's I mean, not not to leave him, but I mean, everybody knows. I mean, Mikey White's one of the best players in the country. I mean, he's just he's just a baseball player too, and he's I mean, he's actually passed Casey as the leading hitter. He's hitting four ten. Now, in, yes. in, you know, in playing shortstops, a pretty demanding, demanding position, and um, you know he's he's hitting for some power with eight doubles and five triples and a couple of home runs too. So those two pretty much, you know, pretty much carried carried the team. And if and when they get some help from the guys that like Salem and Overstreet that they know can do it, and then Avant continues to grow and get better. If uh, Vincent and and Haney can give them a little bit, then you know, then then they become a pretty good offensive team. But uh, right now, it's, that's just not happening. So, um, you know, and I mentioned the uh, strikeout percentage. I mean, thirteenth in the SEC and strikeout percentage, striking out twenty three, almost twenty four percent of the at bats. Which I mean, that's you know, you got to put the ball in play. And then no doubt. Know, and conversely, they're 14th in the league in walk percentage, and only walking 9% of their at bats. So, those two together just don't don't mix real well. Uh, uh, like, no, they which don't. Leads to a very low low on base percentage. They're 12th in on base percentage. So, um, so it's kind of like uh, Roger. I'm sorry. Go, go ahead. No, you go ahead. I was just going to ask you. You know about the starting pitching. I've been impressed with Gilbo so far. He's given him a chance pretty much every Friday night to win. Uh, and you said, as you said, Bramlett seems to be figuring it out. What about Will Carter? I know he came in with a lot of pub. I know he's kind of struggling a little bit. Uh, what's, uh, what's, it, what's, what's, what's going to need to happen to get him rolling? I'm, he's, he's going to have to, he just has to throw more strikes and, and um, you know, go, go longer in the game. I mean, he's, like I say, he can get that fifth in and then that's about it. But, He's not a strikeout guy. He's got, I mean, he's got 19 walks and 18 strikeouts. So once again, that ratio, right. you know, just not, not good. So he's not a not a strikeout guy. So he, he's got to have his control, get some ground balls, you know, because I mean, have a very good defense. I mean, nobody turns double plays like over straight and white in the middle. So they, yeah, I, he just needs to, and I, and I've kind of noticed if he starts ahead, he's a lot better. Obviously, I mean anybody is, but I mean when he gets in the um, gets behind hitters, then they kind of feast on him, which you know is pretty true of everybody. But when you're not an elite elite guy, it really it makes it even even more noticeable. It's like Cam Plain last year. If he ever threw strike one, I mean nobody. Was over. But yeah, nobody had a chance against him. And when yeah, he got, all, of course, I mean he's, he's a, a, a tremendous, tremendous. But I mean he was always felt like he was our best guy. You know, all oh, he was, and um, you know, I mean, I just I can't believe he lasted till the 18th round, but he's kind oh, of that showed. Was shocking. Yeah, he kind of showed his um, 
show what he had that last summer because he had a tremendous. I mean, he had like a one, very low one, one point two ERA or something, and two. Uh, what did he go? Two levels, three levels with the Yankees last year. Um, rookie A and a little bit of high, and you know, just I mean, nobody ever really hit him. So. No, I, in the game he pitched against Florida State in the regional, you knew it was over. Basically, yeah. he yeah. he he mowed those guys down. They had no chance. <laughs> but and you know, it's, I'd love to see that. But yeah, Carter. I mean, back to Carter. He's just and the problem is, I mean, if there's nobody to, I mean, all the injuries, we don't have a we don't have an option unless you move Jake Walters into that spot. Um, you know, for a for a third weekend starter. Then I guess you know. Then I would put Carter in the I guess the Tuesday slot or whatever. And then when there's two week, midweek games, they just they're gonna have to piece one of them together with an inning here and a couple innings there with with whoever they have. But it's just been a tremendous amount of um, injuries that you know. Oh gosh, I forgot the DiPiazza, the big freshman from New Jersey that came in six six kid that was supposed to be a big help, and he had bone spur surgery. Before right before the season started, so that's another one that's out for the year. Yeah. He would have, Speaking of injuries, but, Roger, uh, the the left field situation. I'll give all the credit in the world to to Riley Colburn. He's done a, a great job as a yeah. walk on. But would would this team be a little better if, if Ryan Blanchard could manage to stay healthy? I I feel like it's yeah. I was telling somebody yesterday um, that I kind of think that it's. You know, I mean, Riley, though it's been, like you say, it's been a nice story, but I think that experiment's kind of overcome. He's going to be exposed. I mean, he, good defensive player, good, you know, fast, put him in for pinch running, put him in for um, defensive purposes, but um, get Blanchard out there and give him a chance and see what happens. Because, I mean, the kid can, he's got some tools. He's got a great arm in the outfield. And when he, his knee has been bothersome. I mean, it swells up on him after after a little while, particularly if he tried to play not that he's had the chance, but play a couple of games in a row. Or when it's been cold, it, it was giving him some issues. But Yeah, and then the other thing is, you know, I mean, Will Hyde played out there a little bit before they kind of exclusively put him at DH. And they're playing Kujin at DH again tonight. Um, you know, he's been covering um, for Will Hyde at DH. And, but Avant's played a little bit of left field. I mean, you could, you know, put Kujin at third and Avant left. Then use Riley for defense later on, but if you know if Blanchard's knee was bulky, but I, uh, I think that might be a might be something to try. I mean, I think there's more upside offensively for sure. Uh, you do you do lose some speed and mobility because mainly because of his leg. Because I mean, Blanchard's a good defensive player and a good runner before that gruesome injury last year, and um, it should be getting better. But I mean, it's a, yeah, it is something to try to to try to get a little bit more offense, a little bit more pop in the lineup too. Because Riley's kind of a you know a slap slap guy. Hopefully, he hit it on the ground or a, couple, a high bouncer and and beat it out, which he's he's done some of. But um, you know, he started off started off really really well, and he's kind of leveled out. He's at about two seventy five, I think now, and. Um, like I said, he's made some great plays in the outfield, and he can run. But um, Blanchard might be have a little bit more upside as far as potential offense. 
you know, the funny thing about Riley, I, I was talking about this with Paige uh, when she called last week, Paige Hockman, Georgie's mom, and, and, and you'll recall this too because you are in my age group. 30 years ago, we were watching Riley's daddy, Rocky Colvin, play defensive back for Paul Bryant. And just to show right. how old we're both kids, Roger, now we're watching his son start in left field for Alabama. Oh, so yeah, yeah. It's funny how time flies. Oh, yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, and, you know, we got the, I mean, Georgie's dad and Mikey's dad both played for Coach Bryant, too. So we got kind of a kind of a football, um, football alumni um, team going there. Uh, third of the lineup. <laughs> um, that is true. Well, uh, I, I, you know, I, I guess I'm sort of just kind of uh, perplexed because they're 13 and 10, and in my mind, they they probably should be more like 17 and six. Uh, yeah, something's got yeah, to change they, as far as well, close games. Yeah, they have had trouble, and and. Two games, so you know, I think it was Alabama AM that got rained out. So I mean, they, you know, in essence, fifteen and ten. But those games will be made up. But they, you know, those would be pretty sure wins. And then, like you say, there's three or four or five games that you. It's kind of like the basketball team. It's like went down to the final possession and couldn't <laughs> couldn't pull it out at the end. I mean, they're the same. It's kind of the same way. You know, just um, the one game where we had to. Would have had second and third and no outs with the tying and winning run on base and got the runner thrown out at the plate. You know, that's the game. It ended up losing. And then there's just been a few little things like that, that games that would have, should have, could have won and um, just weren't able to. Um, for whatever reason, I mean, lack of running out of arms or or the, the offense going stagnant. I mean, the offense, it's, you know, and I hadn't done the research on this, but other than, just kind of looking through my scorebooks, but Bama has had they'll like the game Terry that you went to the other day. They scored four in the first, and then pretty much a blank scorecard. And then the eighth inning, they get a couple more. I mean, it's been like that. You, you're, they have three or four, one, three or four run inning, and then they'll go three or four innings with, I mean, with no base runners. I mean, even you know, or maybe maybe a hit here or there, but literally go. Half, half or longer of the game with basically no threat, and then having they've had several innings in the eighth, the eighth inning's been their big inning. Thinking a couple of they, that over there at Starkville, they scored eight, eight in the eighth, and four in the eighth in the two games they won, and kind of put the game away there. But it's just it's kind of either a big inning or or nothing, and. Um, so they need, you know, those cricket numbers are nice to throw up on the board, but you need to need to have some ones and twos in there in the in the middle somewhere. Uh, you know, there's a gosh, four run inning there, a three run inning, a six run inning, an eight run inning. I mean, it's just it's either like I say, it's all all or nothing. Um, which you know, I'm not complaining about having big innings. I just want to have a few small ones along the way to have to have something to work with. Yep, it's uh the feast or famine theory doesn't work well in any sport. Uh, baseball yeah. certainly included in that, and uh, you know hopefully they can get. Well, I'd, I'd like to think they can shock us like they did in Starkville and, and get two out of three in Gainesville. You've given me a little bit of hope, 
Uh, right. Have they said anything about when they might try to resume tonight? Or no, start I've, I've, tonight got, I've, got, I've got it on right there. With a lightning delay, you have to wait at least 30 minutes until right. there's no lightning, but it was raining as well. So, oh, so uh, um, yeah, and that's kind of been the kind of been the story. Um, it, the weather has not been very <laughs> very good this year. It has, it's you're cold right. or wet or both. Um, and then going back to Starkville, and I mean, not not taking anything away from winning the series, but I, I was over there. Uh, State did not impress me very much. They um, right. They're not a, a typical, and I think you know, I think they've um, they won a lot of games early, but their first 22 games were at home. I mean, yeah. They left uh, Duty Noble until they went to I think it was Kentucky this. You know, after the weekend after they played us, and um, they they draw tons of walks. They got a bunch of little bitty guys. They draw tons of walks. They bunt, but they didn't really have any. I didn't see a whole lot of um, offensive potential. And, well, uh, it doesn't get any really easier, missed, Roger. I'm sorry. Go ahead. They're missing those guys on the back end of the in the bullpen, the Lundgren and the, and the, um, Holder. And other kid that um, I mean, because pretty much if they ever got to six innings last year, the game was over because they had, you know, they had three guys out of bullpen that all got drafted, you know, fairly, fairly highly, and they, um, I mean, you know, it was kind of like the Royals or the or some of those teams of the Giants, you know, you get through six and this game's over because you just you're not going to hit those guys at the end. Yeah, no doubt. And now it doesn't get any easier because you play at Florida, the top five team, and then number one LSU comes to Uber. So right, right. The league yeah, is just I, a, I mean, a meat grinder. Yeah, 15th ranked state, then then fourth and first, and then we still have Vandy, I think, who's either second or third right now. So, yeah, it's um, didn't get any uh, on top of uh, every home game being a road game. We didn't get any <laughs> didn't get any favors with the draw on the schedule either. Uh, well, Roger, I want to thank you uh, for, for taking your time to join us oh, tonight. Yeah. Uh, we will, we're going to have you on again every every three or four weeks. So you give us great insight on the baseball program, something that we do want to continue to follow because uh, because it's a story. Because at some point, Bill Battle's going to have to make a decision on whether he's got the right staff in place to lead him when the new stadium is ready. Yeah, yeah, and, and I mean, kind of to that note, I've, I mean, I've pretty much feel like I mean they they've got next year I mean I think they're gonna get a they're get kinda of get a pass on this year simply because of the No, challenge. I agree. I'm just making a point that they better yeah. show Oh I know no I mean and, and I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just I'm just saying yeah and, and there's a lot of a lot of grumbling uh, here and there uh about certain parts of the the staff and the way things are put together and are done and that uh you don't really want to go into it at the moment, but um, you know that you're you're right. There there might be some some things that has that have to be um, have to be addressed, or you know have a have a hard line on. I mean, because that's a lot of money we're trying to raise for that stadium. And by the way, I am on the the stadium committee. If any listeners out there want to, <laughs> want to donate <laughs> to the Joe, please uh, get in contact, and I would I will be glad to get you a pledge card. I'd say get the checkbook out and we'll just have the Drew the Armand press box. 
<laughs> okay. I wish I yeah, could do that. Well, yeah, I would, you give I would enough love money, to have my own box. So uh, just uh, you know, keep that in mind. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Roger. Uh, we do appreciate okay, you all. And uh, Thank you, you Roger. Know, pull them through tonight on the tube. We'll, we'll probably be doing more look, looking at uh, Greg Morrison than we will Mitch Gaspar tonight. But you go ahead and pull them through. Have a good night and roll tide. That was Roger Myers, uh, uh, who is on the stadium committee and uh, who is a member of the Alabama Grand Slammers. Uh, he did join us on the Big Heads Barbecue Hotline, uh, as uh, we would love for you to do. If you're listening live, and that's between 530 and 730 Central, you can call the Big Heads Barbecue Hotline at 714-510-3707, 714-510-3707. And uh, to that note, I want to bring on our regular caller, uh, I don't believe he's in Greenville at this hour, but uh, let's go ahead and bring on uh, Colin Big C. McGuire, who does make his home in Greenville, Alabama. Big C., what's up, buddy? Not much. I'm in Vicksburg, uh, Mississippi, to go visit a little lady in uh, Texarkana. So, uh, but I'm watching the ball game right now. It's 8-2 uh, to two Notre Dame. That yes, works. it is. It works. And Van yeah, Lee just made a layup. Yeah, and I will say this, too. The... Vicksburg, Mississippi, the home of former Bama pitcher and first-round draft pick Taylor Tankersley. Who was it? Taylor Tankersley. I remember that name. I remember him. Yep, yeah. Florida Marlins, baby. Lefty that could throw it hard. Yeah. Well, what's going on when we, with uh, – When we were actually a good team most of that time anyway. But uh, well, uh, we kind of mediocrity right now. Let me ask y'all something. I was talking about the baseball team. You know, some of these teams in the SEC got a lottery, and they help them, that helps them out. You know, I'm wondering, you know, if they're going to ever try to do this lottery again, they need, you know, if they want to try to sell it, they need to tell somewhere, you know, you can get better. You know, you can get kids in the state where they can play, you know, because I know baseball don't pay the whole scholarship, but I mean, like LSU and Georgia, and I know who else in Florida. I know they got a good one of the reasons why they're good. They got players on their on the from the state of Louisiana. They don't have to give them a full ride or anything like that. They can get better players like that. Uh, what do you, I think that's something that they need to try to if they ever try to do it again, that would be a selling point there. Well, yeah, I think they could. Use, I wish they would have the education lottery for to help the state as far as with the overall education as far as to help kids get scholarships, whether it be academic or athletic, help the baseball program. But what I also wish, and now they're doing so, Alabama has invested in the facilities. Now they need to invest into a better coaching staff. You know, some of the things Alabama's doing baseball-wise doesn't have anything to do with the education lottery. What it has to do is, bottom line is, to me, uh, the hitting coach, Andy Phillips, and I know Roger didn't want to talk about it, is about the worst in the country. Uh, he was a great player at Alabama, one of the best, one of probably the top five to six that I ever saw during my era as a student when he played. Dax Norris was a tremendous catcher in 95 to 96, but I think he's a mediocre pitching coach. I think he was a better hitting coach than pitching coach. And quite frankly, Andy Phillips and his time at Alabama, they've never had a consistent offense. They've always struck out more than they've walked. He was a free swinger when he played, and now that's basically the way, in my opinion, he teaches hitting, and he can't teach hitting. It's a joke. Uh, Andy was a great, great player, but he's not a very good coach. And if Mitch doesn't – I agree with Roger. He's going to get a chance to coach in the new stadium. If he does not 
uh, high, you know, put, put Andy Phillips on his way and, and hire a hitting coach to try to help his program. I understand he was in Andy Phillips' wedding, but Andy Phillips is going to have them all on the unemployment line. Mitch could save himself and have a chance to, but he's going to have to, to part ways with Andy Phillips or he will not be employed at Alabama uh, but another year and a half. Uh, what else are y'all hearing about spring practice? Well, uh, you know, it's still kind of early, Big C, but, you know, I I was hearing today that Jake Coker's been up and down. Uh, he, he's had a, he had a, a, a terrible uh, Monday. He was better Wednesday. Uh, I think it's still kind of early with the quarterbacks. I do think Blake Barnett's impressed early with at least his mechanics and uh, the, the way he in the way he's handled himself. Uh, I still think they want they would prefer him to red shirt. Uh, I think Jonathan Taylor's impressed. Now he's being coached very hard by Bo Davis. Bo has stayed on him, made him do a lot of repeating of the drill. But if you look at John Taylor, he's number fifty three. He's uh, you know that's his. He's uh, he's he looked very impressive physically, and uh, he, I think he's a guy that uh, can, can that will really help them this year and can have a Jaron Reed type of uh, impact. That'd be good. Now, <clears throat> uh, yeah, I see that King and Drake, they look like, uh, yeah, him and uh, Henry, they don't like they gonna, got some kind of options what they're going to use with them two guys for Dick's file. Uh, you think they'll be a little more run oriented than they was last year? I mean, be more. I mean, they they ran the ball a lot, but it seemed like they had the throwing game. Plus, you haven't, uh, Amari Cooper, I know you'd want to try to. Uh, get the ball in his hands as much as you could, which it worked out. But do you think they're going to try to go, go more ground way, or do you think they're still going to try to, try to mix it up? From a, like, I still think football. they'll be balanced. I, I think they're going to they're gonna run the football definitely. I think Derrick Henry is uh, stepped up. I think Kenyon Drake will be a weapon. I think they'll be balanced. I think Lane Kiffin likes to be multidimensional, multifaceted. Um, it's going to be exciting. I I'm, I've been hearing good things out of Robert Foster. Want to see what happens, you know, the rest of the spring. But it's his time, you know, Chris Black's time, uh, Ardarius Stewart. They still have some very talented players. And obviously, um, Cameron Sims, and then you know, Calvin Ridley will be there in the fall. So I'm really looking forward to seeing what what guys step up. And I do think Bo Scarborough will be a versatile weapon. Great. I understand he's a he's a He's got a lot of potential. Be... Yeah, he does. He's a, he's a, he, well, Big C, I'll tell you what, man. They when they had pro day, when the NFL scouts came down, Bo measured six foot two, two hundred and thirty seven pounds, and he ran a four four nine. Golly, that's pretty impressive there. Being that big, being that fast. Gosh. Yes. And somebody else to watch, Big C. I know we talked about this on your show this morning. There's somebody else to watch uh, because he's actually taking some reps with the wide receivers is uh, running back slash athlete Kenyon Drake. Yeah, yeah. He, he, he talked about Kenyon, and uh, he had mentioned Kenyon Carey, and he's right. Kenyon will be someone that's going to be versatile. Uh, they, he's been they have taking reps with the wide receivers every day. He's, an, he's as explosive a weapon as they had. And the, the the thing about Kenyon, they they still have never really gotten a whole year of, of production out of him because he missed the second half of last year, and then also the, the, his two seasons before that he was a he was about a fifth string running back as a freshman, but he was just too good to sit. And then as a sophomore, 
he was in and out of the doghouse. You know, he seems yeah. to have matured a lot. If he can stay healthy, I think Kenyon could put up 1,500 all-purpose yards. Uh, and I, I'm anxious to see the deviousness that <laughs> that uh, in, the, in the ball plays, as I'll use a Steve Spurrier term, that uh, that the mad scientist Lane Kiffin can draw up with, uh, with Kenyon Drake. Because if you can line him up in the same formation with Derrick Henry, and then you don't know who's getting the football. Yeah, that's, that's well. It's sort of thing like me using Drake like he did Reggie Bush out of the Southern Cal. Yes, like. that, that's true. And and then we haven't even talked about OJ Howard. Is OJ going to be tougher? There's no doubt OJ's got talent. There's no doubt he's fast. There's no doubt he's a six foot six, you know, two hundred and forty five pound guy. He needs to just be consistent, and he can still be a huge difference maker at tight end. And with Amari Cooper being gone, they need him to produce. Yeah. Well, I'll be – how's his blocking going this spring, do you know? We don't know yet, and that's what we're anxious to see, see if he's gotten tougher and more physical. Uh, the one interesting position switch has to do with the tight ends thus far, and the returns have been promising. He may end up staying there. I know he looked good in the blocking grills yesterday, and he also has caught the ball pretty well, and that is uh, redshirt freshman uh, Johnny Dwight from Rochelle, Georgia. He was a defensive lineman last year, but they've moved him to tight end. He's number 36, uh, Big C, and he's someone that I think they're trying to make a young tight end out of. I know he struggled at D-line some last year, but if he can be physical and block and he's shown soft hands, they may find a spot for him because right now, uh, with the lack of depth at left tackle, they've had to move Brandon Green uh, back out. to. He's been backing up Cameron Robinson, who – Sat out most of the practice yesterday because of the sprained ankle, and Brandon Green's been with the first group. Excuse me. Oh, I've got you. Well, it's, it's going to be interesting to see what Alabama will do this fall. Uh, uh, what do y'all predict on that? Is that, is that too early to say? Too early because there's some moving parts. We'll see what happens. But they, they I think there's – you won't you won't know until fall camp really how good this team could be. I don't think. Yeah, I don't think you'll get a true look until they actually play Wisconsin. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let me ask y'all a question. I know that uh, Marshall is the number one target. Uh, just say he don't come. Now, how mad or disappointed you think some of the fans are going to be, or let down you think they're going to be if he don't show up? They're going to be distraught. Just to be well, blunt. Yeah, well. <laughs> what do you, so, y'all still feel pretty good that the odds of him coming are pretty good on that? Yes. I'd say 75%. It could be even higher than that. I'm being conservative. And he's willing to listen, and uh, there's some factors in play in Alabama's favor. Uh, he made some connections last year when he spoke uh, at the Tuscaloosa Tip-Off Club before Wichita State played Alabama. He's friends with Darren Boatwright's family that lives in Tuscaloosa. Uh, this is a more unique situation than, than when Missouri made a run at him and when Tennessee made a run at him and when UCLA made a run at him. This is a situation to where his son's a senior in high school getting ready to graduate. Uh, his other, his daughter's in ninth grade, not a bad time to move. Um, Alabama's about to throw at least $4 million at him. Uh, he's making one point seven five now. I really feel like this may be the right timing as well as the timing – and the tweets and all the uh, predictions and all from the national media, Big C, 
they're word for word exactly what they were eight years ago talking about Nick Saban. So I say bring it on, keep them coming. Let's let Bill Battle do his work and submit. Uh, Bill Battle doesn't need any help submitting his legacy as a player or a booster, but he can submit his legacy as an AD with this hire, and I feel very good he's going to do just that, Big C. Well, we'll be interested to see what happens here. Oh, no doubt will be. It's going to be, if, if this, you know, if, if they do not beat Notre Dame right now, they're down twenty to ten. They're not playing very well. If they lose tonight, I think things will move quickly, and, and you'll know by early next week, uh, my man, if uh, if we've got a new era in hoops, and uh, it would be, in my opinion, as as big a moment as there has been in Alabama basketball history. Yep. And, uh, that, well, we'll just have to wait and see. It's going to be interesting to see what uh, transpires there. <laughs> no doubt. Well, have, be safe, my man, and have a good yeah. trip uh, to Texas. Thank you. Thank you. We'll see y'all. Roll Tide. Roll Tide. Tell the little lady I said, hey, now. All right. That was Colin Big C. McGuire uh, on his way out to, te- to Texarkana. Uh, that's got the makings of a great country song. But anyway, we're going to go ahead and take our uh, one and only break of the evening. It is uh, half past the hour. Uh, we'll be back in just a few moments. You're listening to BAMS Radio, a member of the Bama Sports Radio family. Timberland boots 
Seven minutes before the hour, if you're listening with us live, uh, but even, even, and if you are, we would love to hear from you on the Big Head Barbecue Hotline. That's 714-510-3707. Call us and ask us any questions you've got about Bama Sports, 714-510-3707. We've already heard from Colin Big C. McGuire and uh, Roger Myers. Roger's call was brought to you by the Asian Rim Thai Restaurant, located on uh, Gallatin Street in Huntsville, and located at the Colonnade in Birmingham. Uh, go there and check out some good food. They also have American food on the menu. Judy Armand and I both had a chance to uh, eat there uh, last week, and we had a, a pretty good time on our way to the uh, Mississippi-Alabama All-Star game in basketball. Yes, we did. The wings were all outstanding, best I've had in a while. Uh, Deep-fried green beans, you know, great stuff. Paige Hartman, great customer service, sweet tea. Whole nine yards. Then we had to go to the incubator in Montgomery. Yeah, they don't uh, apparently in the SWAT gyms they don't always pay the air conditioning bills, so uh, it became a little bit of a sweat box for Drew and I as we watched definite future titers Brandon B. A. Austin and Dante Hall and quite possible returning to the fold uh, Dazon Ingram. I tell you what, he told me to my face during the post game interview Drew Dazon did that he was the MVP of the ball game that Alabama won. Uh, he said that uh, if it's Greg Marshall, he's coming on back. Oh, well, no doubt. Um, Greg Marshall recruited him. He has a relationship with their coaching staff. I think there's still an above-average chance Antoine Petway, who he told me after the game, speaks to his mother every day, uh, would get him definitely back in the fold. And they need him. He's a great athlete, still needs to work on you know, getting stronger, work on the ball handling a little bit in the, in the outside shot, but the athleticism is there. And, and quite frankly, I thought the MVP, though, of the game was Dante Hall. Um, he had 15 points, 12 boards. They gave him two blocks, which was a joke. Yeah, they missed had, three or four blocks. He had five or six, and he, he affected did. three or four others. Uh, and the thing that I, struck me about days, uh, Dante, pardon me, I saw Dante last year in the state tournament. He is just—he was outstanding. He—he's gotten stronger. He's built up his frame, and his his offensive game has become worlds. It's come eons. He hit a three from the corner, and he hit another jumper in the lane. He's—he—I he, think, Kerry, you're going to agree with me here, but he is light years ahead of Jimmy Taylor. He is, especially on offense. Yeah, uh, that's what I'm talking he about. Ha- he actually stepped out and hit a corner three. three. Yes. I don't think anybody in the gym was expecting. Unless maybe you know his coach from high school that maybe saw him do it practice, he he drained it. I mean he looked he actually had some Robert Ory moments in that game. He's probably what I'd call a poor man's Robert Ory. Well, I don't even know. I'd call him. I think he's he has more of a, a back to the basket game than Robert. I would call him Roy Rogers with perimeter skills. With a jumper, yeah, yes, yeah. He's he got some Roy Rogers similarities. Uh, he's uh, and you know a, a year or two in the weight room, I think we could see like an Antonio McDice type guy. Well, and and we know that Charles Burkett, the head coach who won the 7A state championship at Hoover, believes he's an NBA player, Gary. Right. He said in maybe as short as three years he could yes. see him playing at the highest level, which is the NBA. And uh, those two guys both had a good game. And you know what? Another good performance by uh, the man they call B.A., Brandon Austin. 
he had a game high 16 and only you know 14 15 minutes of playing time he was a high flyer uh, he had a couple of nice dunks in transition and hit two threes and I felt like Kerry just from a, a quickness standpoint and with his size that he was the best athlete on the floor when he was in the ball game we got to uh, see in person our, our guest from last week JJ Jackson uh, and I kept wanting to tell BA God bless him I don't think he would have gotten the joke, but I wanted to say Brandon, uh, Sammy Davis called and he wants his hair back, but I, I just didn't have, you know. Anyway, but you know, he showed it. One thing that, that BA showed is he he can go to the, he can take it to the rack, as they say, take it to the cup. He can dunk on you one trip, and the next trip down he can pull up and hit a three. And uh, there's only been a few people that came through Alabama: James Robinson, Tony Mitchell, very few that could do that from from the guard position. And really, at six five and a little, a little bit more weight on him, I could see Brandon getting some minutes at the three as well. No doubt, he's he, what he's done is he's he's improved leaps and bounds since last year. I wasn't very high on him, but after seeing him twice and seeing him against that level of talent, he's definitely an SEC caliber athlete and an SEC caliber player. In all in all honesty, to be to be perfectly frank with you after seeing all three of them in that game. And, of course, Malik Newman did not play in the game from Jackson Callaway, who would have been the top prospect on the floor, and he's got his decision to make. He's considering Kentucky, Mississippi State, LSU. But uh, I think the bottom line is the Alabama's got three really solid prospects. That uh, Two of them are signed, have a chance to get Dayton back, and if you add a piece or two to that, it could be a very good class. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see if they can bring in one more piece in the late signing period. Just a quick piece of housekeeping. Uh, due to rainy conditions, the uh, Alabama baseball team will now play a double header with number four Florida tomorrow. Uh, the first game will start at 2 o'clock. The second game will follow 40 minutes after the conclusion. Uh, game two will be live on uh, SEC Network Plus, which means you got to watch it on your phone, your laptop, or your tablet. But uh, – the finale Saturday will remain as scheduled. Noon Central first pitch on the SEC Network Plus. And, again, that's where you got to get on your phone or your laptop or your tablet. Uh, so no baseball tonight. We can concentrate on basketball and uh, just kind of bring us up to speed on what's going on with Wichita and Notre Dame, dude. 25-20, to 20, nice run for Wichita. Ron Baker's been on fire, hitting several threes. Uh, he's, uh, he's brought those shockers back. Notre Dame has them in a little bit of a foul trouble right now with about eight minutes left on the clock, but we've got a 25-20 Notre Dame lead. Wichita's made a little bit of a move. Well, with the way college basketball goes, particularly on TV, if there's eight minutes left in the first half, you throw in halftime, we've got 50 minutes to go on this show. We can probably see almost all the second half. So uh, <laughs> that'll, that'll be good. Uh, I do intend to continue to pull for the hours to hold them off. I don't care if it's one point. We need to get those negotiations going because I – I'm ready to go to either a, a, a Sunday or a Monday press conference. I kind of hope it's Monday because I'm planning on covering softball Sunday. I wanted to touch on that, too, while we have a couple minutes. Uh, I was able to get down to Tuscaloosa Monday uh, of this week and see the culmination of a rain, uh, a game that was suspended due to rain uh, on, on uh, Saturday, and they, they played the last part of it Monday because it rained Sunday, too. Alabama blew that game, was up one nothing, and lost 4-1. to one. And then they were faced with trying to avoid a home sweep, which hadn't happened since, like, 2004. Uh, so they 
were able to rally behind the, the bat of Haley McClinney, who had a two-run homer and a two-one triple, and the uh, right arm of, of freshman uh, Alexis Osorio, and they were able to take a victory over Florida in the finale of, of the series. A really, a really nice win, and I was on hand for that and got to talk to Murph after the game. Uh, the baseball team I mentioned earlier is 13 and 10, three and three in the league. The softball team is 23 and seven, ranked number five. Uh, they're three and three in the league, but feels a little bit different, Drew. No doubt, they played a really tough schedule. They played Michigan, and then the SEC. Three quarters of the teams are ranked, if not more. Uh, obviously, they, they they played Florida, who had been the number one team in the country until they played LSU the week before. And LSU has been lights out this season, but uh, they you know they 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 uh, lost two out of three to Florida, but played much better in the third game to take the game of that series. And obviously Alabama did win two out of three on the road. It ranked Georgia. Could have swept that series. Lost a very tight uh, game two there. But again, the SEC is a very, very tough conference. And uh, it's become, in the, to be honest, in the three years since it's been close to since Alabama won the national championship in softball, the SEC has gotten tougher every season. It has. And speaking of which, there was another game since the one-and-a-half games I saw Monday. Uh, they played yesterday afternoon, and they run-ruled Georgia Tech in six. 11 uh, nothing. Two grand slams, one by Marissa Runyon, and the other by uh, Chauncey Bell. Uh, a walk-off, if you will. It was a run-rule. They had to get to eight, and they got to 11 on her grand slam. So they didn't have to play the seventh inning. And uh, so that's part of the 23-7. and seven. Number 23, Texas A&M, comes in. Uh, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and I hope to be able to get down there and cover the Sunday game if if I can break away. That's that's the plan right now. Uh, but if I have to attend a basketball press conference, so be it. I'll make that sacrifice. Uh, so hopefully I can do one Sunday and the next Monday. That'll be fine too. Let's give them time to hammer out about a ten-year, forty million dollar deal for Greg Marshall. Well, uh, we hope so. That would be ideal. Um, I think that. It, I know the, the sticking point last year with Missouri is they wouldn't go six years. Alabama is going to go at least six, and it's going to be four million per year. It's, it's just going to come down to what will Wichita try to do to keep him, and will they be able to even compete with Alabama's offer? I still think a lot of people were talking about watch Texas, but they did not. They had, if they were going to try to enter the sweepstakes, everybody knows Alabama wants Greg Marshall. They would have made a move with Rick Barnes. They have not. I think Rick Barnes knows where the bodies are buried. I think Rick Barnes is the is the deluxe version of Rick Stansberry. I don't think Texas will probably make a move this year. I think they're going to let him coach in the new arena whenever that opens, as long as he if, if he can get them. They have a lot of talent returning, and he's going to add talent. If Texas can can make a run in the NCAA tournament, they're going to give him another year. I think he he's been to the NCAA tournament, tournament 16 out of 17 years. I think Texas will uh, he will stay there. For the, you know, and they, they will uh, see if he can right the ship. And I think a lot of the, there's several big boosters that are still in his corner. And then again, we've we've, we've been over the the Indiana situation. Not going to happen. The buyout for Crean is 12 million right now. Will be 7.5 in uh, on July 1st. They'll they'll give him at least another year. The only way they would pay a buyout that ridiculous is if they could get Brad Stevens, who in my opinion does not want to leave Boston. You know, a lot of Alabama fans are, are just distraught. Uh, I'm not, but a lot of them are distraught that uh, Mississippi State 
hired Ben Howell on the other day while Alabama sat back and waited on its top candidate. Uh, does that up the ante a little bit in the West? Not the West. There's no West anymore. But does that up the ante a little bit in the league? Yeah, it does a little bit when you have Howell on one side and Pearl on the other. But at the same time, if Alabama gets the guy it wants, I don't think the Howland hire is that big of a factor, Drew. It's not. If they were able to close the deal with Greg Marshall, and, you know, Bruce Pearl's done a great job at Auburn, as I said on that show yesterday in Wichita, Kansas. You know, he's up to Annie. He's done a great job. He's done a great job promoting. It's been good for the state. But, you know, Greg Marshall can handle Bruce Pearl. Mark Godfrey handled Bruce Pearl. Philip Pearson handled Bruce Pearl. So Bruce is a really good coach, but he can be handled, and I think they can handle Ben Howland as well. Credit to Mississippi State and uh, and and, their, and Scott Strickland, their AD, uh, giving him a four-year, eight million dollar contract, two billion per year. Uh, obviously, I think uh, Ben Howland's an excellent basketball coach, but I think Alabama felt like they had a better fit and a better candidate, and that's why they waited. And uh, I think they feel really good about their situation, and we'll see if they can close the deal. We will indeed, and you know. <laughs> It kind of cracks me up reading all these columns and tweets and posts that act like that Bruce Pearl is going to beat Auburn forever. Uh, Feinbaum dropped a hint on his show last week that if Memphis decides to pull the trigger and get rid of Josh Pastner, who is underachieved, very much so, underachieved, uh, I tell you what, if, if Josh Pastner gets canned at the University of Memphis, you see how that affects Bruce Pearl's future real quick. <laughs> You know, that could happen. Passner, I saw a figure the other day, and I think it was via USA Today. It stunned me a little bit. I can't believe he makes $2.6 million for what he's done. I think he's a great recruiter, but I don't think he's a really good basketball coach. He can get talent, but they're not going to – I think they're always going to underachieve. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if Memphis does anything, but I don't think – they'll probably give him another year as well, but – Pastner is a guy, he'll always have a job because he can recruit, but and he's a young coach, but I'm just not convinced that he's going to be a big-time uh, guy. He, at Memphis, he's, the, the league is not as even as tough as, you know, where, what it was even when Conference USA, when they had the Louisville's and the people like that and, and Cincinnati's. And I just think overall Pastner is he's just an average coach. Uh, just watching them play, I was not impressed. And, to be perfectly frank, I did not want him to be on Alabama's list. Not at all. And and that's fine if they do give him another year. Let, one year from now, 11 months from now, if Memphis gets rid of him, you just watch what happens. Bruce Pearl's going to be interviewed for that job. I promise you he will. Yeah. Well, and we even hear today that Donnie Tindall may not last at Tennessee but they, because of the NCAA situation. But the, enough of the administration still in place at Tennessee – I don't see them going after Bruce Pearl again. If they did, he would have come back in a millisecond. But I think it will be interesting to see if Donnie Tindall survives long-term at Tennessee. Uh, and if they, he doesn't, wow, what, a, what, what, what instability with ball basketball over the last three to five years. Uh, they can't keep a coach. It's, it's kind of maddening. Anthony Grant's available. Yeah, I think George Mason may be talking to Mr. Grant. Good riddance. He can take the whole staff with him, but Petway, not going oh, yeah. I just want. I haven't gotten any feel yet as to as to where uh, if they hire Coach Marshall, where he would stand with Antoine. Well, you know that's a situation to be able to play itself out. I mean, 
if he does, I'm whatever Greg Marshall wants. If he if he wants to talk to Antoine, that's fine. If he doesn't, let's roll. Uh, I I think Antoine would help him hit the ground running in the state of Alabama. Though we've already talked about this, their staff is is familiar with the state. They have been recruiting Dazon Ingram, but I think it would help them. You know, if we heard JJ Jackson, Petway's so good with those guys, and if uh, and who knows, maybe one of Greg Marshall's assistants could be in the running for the Wichita job. Should he take the Alabama job? So, well, I think there would be an opportunity for Antoine, and we'll just have to see what uh, happens with that situation. John Brandon did a solid job as interim head coach, uh, but I still think he's got the personality of sandpaper and cannot recruit. So, I just don't really believe that he's going. He would be the answer at Alabama. He might get a chance eventually at a mid-major school, but. The biggest problem I had with Anthony Grant and his coaching staff is they were not very good evaluators or recruiters, and quite frankly, they were lazy. Well, and we didn't even touch on the uh, season-ending loss down at the uh, very early Saturday morning game. Uh, they, they fell by seven points. They had by four at the half. looked to be yes. in good shape. But uh, once again, uh, the uh, ugly head of scoring drought raised its head in the second half, and they did end up ending the season 19-15, and 15. Uh, that was very mediocre. Coach Brandon did do a pretty good job, I would say, for a game and a half anyway. But they faded Grant style in the second half in South Beach. No doubt. And uh, it all comes back to not having an inside game. And having a – I'll use the old Bo Schembechler quote about UCLA football, having a bunch of surfers inside. Not physical enough, you know, not tough enough. Need to, you know, get a coach in there that can recruit and develop players get a real strength coach that can develop these guys, get them strong, get them fundamentally sound. And you just want to play good, solid basketball. And too many times in the last six years, Alabama did not. And uh, that's why there's been a change in leadership in Tuscaloosa. Anthony Grant should land on his feet. He'll have a chance to be an assistant coach somewhere and or maybe, you know, get another shot at a 1AA school. But to be just frank with you, uh, he had sucked the passion out of the program, and that's why Alabama is where they are. They're they they uh, they're trying to make it two straight hires. You know, with Anthony Grant, they made a huge financial commitment. It didn't work. But I think what they've learned, uh, Kerry, is you know Anthony Grant had a very small body of work, only three years. Their top target this time has 17 years, and that makes a difference. And he looks like Clark Kent. I like that too. Uh, three minutes to go in the first half. It's uh, Notre Dame leading by six points, uh, 31 to 25. Hopefully that will hold on, and Alabama can begin negotiating with who we hope will be the next head basketball coach. And I'm, I'm glad you brought up that that surfer joke because uh, a former guest on this show who was medically disqualified by Alabama uh, has begun his professional career in Europe. One Christoph Baradell is playing in the Swiss Pro League as we speak, Drew. Not surprising. Typical Anthony Grant. Get a kid over here. He has some sort of medical problem. He can't help you. Then he goes to Europe, and he'll probably average 25 points per game. It's and, uh, and, and if he's been healthy, Anthony Grant's probably still the coach. Probably, but it's just typical. Everything they did backfired on him, never worked out. Some people call it bad luck. I call it ineptitude. Uh, just glad that he got $4 million to go away. Nice guy, class act, ran a clean program, just wasn't a good fit for Alabama. Thought it was humorous that he didn't promote the program in six years as head basketball coach. 
besides a commercial here or there. And yet, as soon as he gets his butt fired, he's on the nearest uh, TBS tele. He's on the network on TBS as a guest, quote unquote, analyst. Uh, to, I guess they wanted to have somebody on there to put the audience to sleep. But I thought it was interesting that his agent already had him in front of a camera trying to audition for his next job after being a flop in Tuscaloosa. And he actually tried to crack a few jokes, and I was like, where was that the last six years? But anyway. Well, uh, <laughs> it is what it is. <laughs> and it's not anymore. And, Thank uh, God. Yeah, well, you know, we were making all those he gone jokes, what, 30, 45 days ago, and we turned out to be right. Even though it did look like until the very last second that he was coming back, but a couple of uh, big-name, big-money big donors got a hold of Bill Battle and perhaps changed the uh, future of Alabama basketball in a drastically positive way. Uh, hopefully so. Uh, you know, we're going to see what happens. Uh, Wichita State's going to continue to play, and this is probably going to come down to the final possession. They're a scrappy team. They, they're they going to keep playing hard, which is what I like about Greg Marshall's teams. And I think, uh, you know, uh, Notre Dame's a very good team. I think this may be Bray's best team. I think they do a great job of sharing the ball and shooting it. Uh, and so this is going to be a four-quarter fight, but we will see. And uh, I think Greg Marshall's definitely interested uh, I think they've turned his head, but now you got to get the deal done and close it, and hopefully Nick Saban and Terry Saban can uh, help get that get get it rolling. Yep, I, I think the intrigue of coaching in a Power Five conference against the likes of John Calipari, I think that that and the four plus million a year are gonna are going to get the attention of this guy who again reminds me of Clark Kent every time I see him in a close up. Uh, and hopefully he can do a Superman-type job with the Alabama program. Uh, there's now 2.25 left to go in the half. It's still 31.25, if my phone is accurate. Is that correct, Drew? It is 2.09 left, yes. It's 31.25, uh, Notre Dame with the basketball. Okay. Well, I'm only about 15 seconds behind then, so I'm, I'm good on the score, though. Okay. So uh, while we wait for this game to get to the half and, and, and on into the second half, which we'll probably be able to watch since we've only got 35 minutes to go in the show, Let's turn back to football. Uh, that's always been the main focus of the show. Uh, one thing we haven't touched on uh, in the first 85 minutes or so of the show is football recruiting. Uh, various prospects, Drew, continue to get offers from Alabama and continue to visit the uh, practice field in Tuscaloosa. Yeah, Alaric Williams, the 2017 running back from Southside Gadsden, visited Monday, as did a big-time visitor that they needed to get back on campus, Cheyenne Carter. Uh, he visited. Uh, he's the cornerback that's committed from Kentwood, Louisiana, had been making several trips to LSU to to the angst of the Tide Nation, but he came back and he, he had a good time re, uh, re, reconnecting with the coaching staff. It's going to be a fight with Shaheen, but you know I think he's he's a guy that he still is, and now he's still committed. At the beginning of his recruitment has reminded me a little bit of Minka Fitzpatrick, but we saw what happened there, and it ended up it ended well for Alabama. Usually, when they take these kids early, they have a very good chance to hold on to them. You knew that LSU would keep coming for a kid that's in their backyard, so we will see there, and then. Uh, a receiver that's kind of a sleeper in 2016 was there Wednesday. He's someone that has been offered by Louisville. Alabama's been looking at him, and it's Terrence Watkins uh, from Athens High School here down the road. Got pretty good size at about 6'1", 170. But there, there's a lot of receivers, though, they're recruiting, and 
I still say don't don't take your eyes off Darnell Solomon and also, of course, Kevin Ridley. Quarterback. Uh, Juwan Pass and looks like a few other people in the play now. Yeah, Juwan Pass, he's kind of shifted more toward Louisville still recruiting him, North Carolina, Auburn. I think he likes Alabama. I think Georgia's still recruiting him. But quarterback is going to completely play itself out over the camp circuit. Uh, they like this kid, Haskins, Darnell Haskins out of Potomac, Maryland. They want him to come throw. Obviously, the kid out of Marietta Walton, who uh, the same high school as, uh, as I think his name's Josh White, uh, that, that played at the same uh, school as uh, the now departed and probably never to return Tyron Jones. So they, they, he's somebody that's been visiting Alabama for a couple years, but he didn't put up eye-popping numbers. They want him to throw in camp. Overall, what I've been hearing and what I've heard in the last few days is Coach Saban is putting a renewed emphasis on a dual-threat guy, and I think that's what who ultimately will get the spot in the class. And that means somebody can run the ball a la Blake Barnett. Yes. But that yes. that sounds to me like, you know, that it could be Juwan Pass. I know there's other people in the mix. But uh, it'll be interesting to see what, what happens over the, the, the camp circuit. Uh we would be remiss if we win an episode of BAMs without talking about the left tackle position. Uh, those who make predictions in the world of cyberspace all seem convinced that Willie Allen is going to LSU. I'm not, but they are. But uh, E.J. Moss uh, of uh, Central Gwinnett over in Atlanta uh, seems to be hinting that Alabama might be making a move on Auburn in his top five. Well, with, with the thing with E.J., you got to remember he's not at Central Gwinnett anymore. Uh, he transferred to Archer in Atlanta, which is more of a Georgia-type program. But he is considering Alabama. They have turned up the heat. And with Willie Allen, they just need to get Willie Allen back on campus. I mean, I've heard all this stuff. Well, LSU, LSU, LSU. We'll see what happens when he, you know, if he comes back to camp this summer. I believe he will. I still think he has a really good relationship with the Alabama coaching staff. Right now, to be honest, I talked to someone in this business this afternoon. In recruiting, with this class and the approach they're taking, Kerry, and it's been very methodical this this time around, the camp circuit is going to pay a huge part in who Alabama takes. They've offered a lot of kids, but most of them are camp offers, and it's going to come down to, quite frankly, the, the, the program right now is still loaded with talent. They're going to want to see these kids perform in front of their eyes before they sign off on a lot of them and, and allow them in the class. And would that also apply at tight end with uh, is it Caden Smith? Is that his name? I think they like Caden a lot. They might take him right now. I think they still want him to come back and at least visit. Uh, and I wouldn't be surprised if they would like him to work out. But he's someone with family ties to Alabama, and they definitely want to get. To be honest, they'd like they'd love to get Caden in the class, but I think they'd like to get a couple of tight ends. <laughs> I laugh every time I see this commercial about Indianapolis. <laughs> in the Annapolis, you gotta love Samuel L. Jackson's timing. Oh my God! In the Indiana, like Not like you drive down the road and you don't notice that you're in Maryland instead of Indiana, but that's still a oh, funny commercial. And then yeah. the big dance with Shaq. This some this are pretty good basketball commercials on right now, Drew. Well, I've I've always been a Spike Lee fan, at least with his commercials, and he directed all those. And to me, he will always be Mars Blackman, and. There's never been another shoe commercial that could touch those. Oh, I agree. I agree. No he was that. ahead of his time. Yep. Yep, 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 yep. 
Well, we've got another half an hour to go, and we don't have any guests lined up, so we're just going to have to figure out some stuff to talk about. Let's get back to the team itself. Uh, and let's, uh, well, before we do that, does anything else pop into your mind about recruiting group? Well, not especially. I just think that they're going to continue to evaluate. I think offensive line, you've seen several offers go out, two or three JUCOs. Uh, I think they will end up taking a junior college offensive tackle for Coach Cristobal. I think they, you know, they're going to want Willie Allen. They're going to want to try to sign, I think, three OTs, a couple of interior players. Uh, I think overall, I think it's going to be a class that I, uh, in the last couple of years, you had double-digit commitments, you know, by the time August rolled around. It wouldn't even shock me. They might be double-digits by then, but there may not be. I think they're going to continue to take their time, evaluate and reevaluate. And, uh, and I think, obviously, I'm hoping Coach Saban, he's one of the best that it's ever been. It's always self-scouting. They need to make sure that they kind of quell what's been happening at the end of some of these classes, Carrie, when they lose kids they could have had. Well, last year, there, before we get back to the team itself, uh, last year there was a flurry of commitments right around A-Day. Is it yeah, possible that, that could happen again? I think there could be multiple ones. There usually always are. And I think that's strategic by Coach Saban. It wouldn't surprise me if two or three kids committed, much like they did last year. But I still think you're going to see probably less than ten commitments or only around that many. But I still think it could be less than that by the time fall camp starts. I think they're going to be really – but, of course, they could, they could pick up several in the camp circuit because you remember what Ronnie Harrison did last year. He set the camp on its ear. But I just I think they're going to continue to be methodical and with the way they evaluate. Speaking of Ronnie Harrison, he's uh he's caught some people's eyes in the last uh, three or four practices. Gary, he looks tremendous in the drills. I mean, he's so long, so tall. You can tell he's a legit six foot three. And we're going we're going to be a thirty three to thirty uh, Notre Dame lead at halftime over Wichita State. So we just went to halftime. But again, Ronnie Harrison, so excited. Definitely, Deontay Thompson needs some weight room work. Ronnie Harrison's already a man, and I can't wait to see him get out there in the scrimmages this spring. I want to see how quickly he picks things up. I think he's going to be a stud carry. I know I told you that last year. You were a little bit lukewarm on him, thought he was maybe flirting with other schools too much. But I'm telling you, getting Ronnie Harrison in the fold, it was probably the last good thing Lance Thompson did before he ruined his life and ended up in Cowtown. Yep. Well, Ronnie's definitely uh, gotten some people's attention. With Cyrus Jones sitting out the spring as he re- recovers from uh, hip surgery, this is a golden opportunity, Drew, in my opinion, for guys like Tony Brown and Marlon Humphrey to step it up. No doubt. Marlon Humphrey looks tremendous. He's gained weight, Kerry. He looks to be close to 190, 195. He looks like a pro. I know We know how talented he is. We know the coaching he got from Josh Niblett and his staff with the Hoover Bucks. He's an elite-level player. He will be a redshirt freshman. So far, Tony Brown has been at right corner with the first group, and then left corner has been Eddie Jackson. But now we will see Marlon and uh, Bradley Sylvie competing with them. I think Marlon is a big-time talent. And I'm also very anxious to see Hootie Jones, how he does. He's been playing some star. He's also been at, at, at strong safety. Obviously, Maurice Smith, Geno Smith, get a chance to see those guys and I'm really excited about another young player who will be a redshirt sophomore and that's Jonathan Cook from Spanish Ford. Oh yeah, it's a as we say this every year, but it's going to be an extremely interesting not only A day, but also interesting scrimmage that you and I get to see on the 11th and hopefully 
between the friend of the show, Coach Jim Adams, and maybe Redfish, hopefully we can get some kind of scouting report out of scrimmage this Saturday. No doubt we should be able to do that and have Redfish on soon. Uh, He's definitely going to be front and center and trying to get a nice uh, report uh, from this weekend and the first scrimmage for this uh, upcoming football team. Just going to be very interested to see how Jake Coker plays. Still not sold on him. Uh, a little bit worried because of his uh, the propensity with his slow reads last year. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see ultimately what uh, what, what uh, transpires with the quarterbacks this spring. It's definitely not going to be decided till fall camp. And it kind of a, uh, I guess the thing that bothers me is we were both told how great Coker looked in December leading up to the bowl game, and now we're hearing he's he's regressing. I don't, I don't really get that. Well, I wouldn't call it regressing yet. I just think he's been inconsistent. It's going to be interesting to see how he plays uh, and to see if he can uh, and see if he can uh, be, just not turn the football over and be and move the team. I think that's going to be the key thing. I know that's we've heard uh, Nick Saban talk about leadership and moving the football team and just being able to sustain the offense. But, again, I just think right now there's some moving parts. We will see. I, I, I'm anxious. To, I've heard Blake Sims speak highly of Alec Morris. want to see how he looks in the drills. Uh, you would like to have, you know, uh, Jake Coker take a step up and play well. Uh, but I think a lot of people remember how he played last fall when he had a chance to win the job. He did not do that. Well, he's got a, a big-time chance to make a – to solidify some things this spring. But he's going to have to play better. And I agree with you. It's a little bit disconcerting to hear after the Monday practice that he did not look uh, good at all. Yeah, consistency is the key at, at quarterback and getting him in the right play, getting the ball to the right person. He's not going to have an Amari Cooper, but he's still going to have a ton of playmakers now that we hear that Drake is getting some time at receiver, which, you know, that just gives him a chance to get on the field at the same time as Henry. Uh, you hate to use the term game manager, with a guy who's 6'5", 230, runs a 4'6", and can throw it 80 yards on the fly. But if he can pick up, even being a, a McElroy-type game manager, he should be able to win the job, in my opinion. Well, yeah, he's definitely got the, the, the size, the arm, and the talent. But so far, I mean, he's uh, he's been a little bit inconsistent. I mean, like you said, he, he, he wasn't good at all to start last season, and then he – he played much better as the year went on as far as when he got a chance to play against uh, Western Carolina. Then he, he looked pretty solid in the bowl preparation, but now we're going to have to see. I mean, he, he's got to seize the opportunity like Blake Sims did, but who knows, maybe he'll play well in the scrimmages, and uh, that's why what's going to make Saturday so crucial. Yep, and you go ahead and work on Redfish, and I'll, I'll work on Coach Adams, and we'll see if we can get one or both of them on the show next week to tell us what they saw Saturday, because I'm sure going to be very curious. Something else that I'm curious about, Drew, is the offensive line. Uh, they're set at center with Ryan Kelly. They're set at, at left tackle uh, with Cam Robinson, who missed one day with sprained ankles. He's supposed to be back tomorrow at practice. Uh, where they're not set is right tackle, which I've said all along will be Dom Jackson, and so far it has been. They're not set at the guards. We thought one of them was going to be Grant Hill. Now we don't even know if he's going to play football this fall. That's up in the air. I feel like right now that the guards, if they had to play tomorrow, that the guards would be Bradley Bozeman and Shank Taylor. 
But I'm just wondering what, after one day in pads, we know about how much those guys are getting pushed by people like Josh Kasher. Well, I think no doubt about it. Uh, Ryan Kelly is going to start at center left tackle. Cameron Robinson. I'm like you. I think Dom will be the right tackle. Uh, I'm really excited about Bradley Bozeman's potential at right guard. He can really bring it. He's really physical. I think he's one of the top, the strongest guys on the football team. I really, you know, I think he could be the guy, the breakout guy this year. Uh, you still need to worry about uh, Bradley and uh, Dom's pass protection, but I think the physicality will be there and the ruggedness. Um, I think the bottom line is at left guard, Shank played some last year, but I think he had, they had issues with his physicality. He's going to, you know, get the opportunity to solidify something. But I think Josh Kasser and Ross Persbacher, to a certain degree, are really going to be guys to watch. And I really, really believe that uh, Kasher is the one, now that Grant Hill is not in the equation, I think Grant will redshirt, uh, hopefully return in 2016. But I think Ross uh, Persbacher and especially Kasher or somebody to watch if Shank, I hope this doesn't happen, but if Shank is this year's Leon Brown. Well, and I think Piercebacher is, is currently, at least until Lester Cotton is ready, I think he's currently backing up at right time. Yeah, and I, I think so. Uh, they, they're having to use Piercebacher there. They're having to move him around. He's a very versatile kid. Um, I think with when if Lester Cotton could really help in the fall. Uh, and, and be a guy that could be groomed behind Dom if he can come in in shape. And as you've seen, Kerry, uh, you've been at practice and you've also seen the media coverage. Uh, I believe Lester is front and center every practice. And I'm going to actually go to my first ever, well, not first ever, first ever weekday media viewing period. I've been to some Saturday and Sunday ones. But my first ever weekday media viewing period will be uh, one week from uh, last night. Uh, uh and I'll be I'll be able to give you a firsthand report next Thursday. I'm really curious to know who the who the backups are, uh, particularly on the O line. I know the backup left tackle is former tight end Brandon Green. The backup right tackle is Ross Piercebacher. The backup at one of the guards is Josh Casher. The backup at center, I assume, is J.C. Hassenauer. I don't even know who the other backup guard is right now. Yeah, he's a little bit uncertain right now. Uh, I do think another tackle to watch, I think he's been working some at left, is Corin Curvin, uh, who they've, they've made a position switch. He had not been playing at defensive line. Uh, you know, as far as that other guard spot, it's probably Isaac Luatua, who's still on the team, but he's going into his fifth-year senior season, and he has not played very much. No, nah, he's one of those guys that somehow gets a letter for playing in three games. But, uh, yeah, but he's, he has stuck it out to his, to his credit. He yes. Uh, you know, you guys certainly have a lot of heart and certainly wants to be in Tuscaloosa. Uh, something else that intrigued me, Drew, and, and, and obviously we both know, all three of us know, that spring is a time for experimentation. But I guess I never really thought about the, the possibility of a defensive back and track team member Anthony Averick now getting reps at wide receiver. Yeah, it's a little bit surprising with the losses in the secondary. Hopefully it means they feel pretty good about how Maurice Smith is coming along, obviously. Uh, Gino being a senior. Uh, Hootie Jones, I think they trust Jabril Washington. Obviously, we talked about Sylvie Marlin, Eddie Jackson. Uh, they'll have Cyrus Jones back, Tony Brown, who looks to have slimmed down some. So hopefully these young guys in the secondary are making strides and can really, really uh, lock some things down where they can save that situation. 
special teams wise, we have a very good line on who all the kickers and holders and snappers are going to be. One thing we don't know for sure, and, and probably won't until we play Wisconsin, or at least see the scrimmage the week before Wisconsin, is who's going to be doing the returns. Uh, when I was in New Orleans, uh, I, I talked face-to-face, one-on-one uh, with Odarius Stewart, and he informed me that he was concentrating more on kickoff returns. He seemed to think that uh, due to the fact that he's going to be a senior this year, that, that Cyrus Jones would be deep on punts. My thing is, you know, Cyrus Jones is is an injury risk if he's running back punts. He's already recovering from hip surgery. Uh, why not give a look on punts to somebody like Rodarius Stewart, Marlon Humphrey, Tony Brown, or, or even somebody else? Uh, what's your take on where things stand right now in the return game, Drew? Well, I think you'd have to say that right now until when he gets back in the fall, they give Cyrus Jones first crack at punts. But what, what I'm hoping as far as on kickoff, and even maybe a little bit in the punt return game, and hopefully this this spring, and he can show enough to gain the confidence of the coaches. Marlon Humphrey, he was very good at it when he was at Hoover High School. I think Chris Black will get some reps. Obviously, our Darius Stewart, I think he was a great returner as well, and has had a and has had a chance to do that. Um, we will see even Robert Foster, but I think the the guys that I'm excited about, and then Bradley Sill with his great speed, but the guys I'm most excited about, you know, I think are, I know Cyrus will be given an opportunity to punt, but I'm excited about some young guys. I'm excited about Marlon Humphrey. I think he could be a factor and be someone that could help them. No question about that. And even a guy like Tony Brown with his speed, I think he could also, he'd be a heck, he's physical. He'd be a heck of a blocker to have as a safety valve up there for, in my opinion, someone like Marlon Humphrey. I think we'll get a look. And, you know, they always put a blocker back there on kickoff. They don't always do it on punts. But on kickoff, they always put a blocker back there with the the primary return guy. I, I think if they played Wisconsin tomorrow, the primary return guy on kickoffs would be our Gary Stewart. I'm really curious to know who the blocker might be. Uh, it, it's, it could be – you could go a lot of – it's usually a receiver. Uh, and I think that guy could potentially be Rob Foster. Yeah. And I think Rob Foster also has some explosive talent. So uh, we'll see. I've heard some good things from Robert Foster so far in the workouts and uh, anxious to see how, if, if he continues to get better and work hard and, uh, and and live up to the billing that he's had. One thing that's been consistent in the reporting and the video and the commentary and the tweets, what have you, posts, articles, about the first three workouts, it's very clear right now, very clear, that the first four receivers in the rotation are Chris Black, or Darius Stewart, Robert Foster, and Cam Sims. Those guys are getting the majority of the reps. Uh, I, I think that's going to hold true with the, with the addition of Calvin Ridley. I'll admit that he's going to work his way up there this fall. Yeah. But uh, they're going to have a dynamic when Calvin gets there. A dynamic five-man receiving core. Perhaps there's not an Amari Cooper in the group. You don't get those every year. But those five guys I just named, including Calvin. Should give Alabama one of the most fierce wide receiver groupings in the league, in my opinion. They will be. They'll be talented, but young, but talented. I think they can still be very productive. It's just going to be who will be the quarterback to get them the football for the mad scientist known as Lane Kiffin. Who will step up in the spring, or uh, and who then who will take the bull by the horns in the fall and be there to try to take this team where it needs to go? Because defensively. 
if Mel Tucker can make the impact, I think he, he, he has a chance to, which would be to be kind of a Wayne Kiffin of the defense this year. I think he can get the secondary playing much better and more consistent. The rest of the defense is just fine. And with the skill players out there, how's on offense, carry, if they can figure out quarterback, they're going to be hard to deal with. I'm glad you used the term bad scientist to, to describe Lane Kiffin. Uh, some would even say evil genius, although I always thought Spurrier had the patent on that. But uh, mad scientist experiments sometimes go awry, as they did with, with, with Dr. Frankenstein and his monster. Uh, I think sometimes the mad scientist we call Lane Kiffin gets a little bit too full of himself, as was the case when Derrick Henry's averaging 11 yards a carry behind Cam Robinson, and you decide to throw the ball first and 10 on your opponent's 27. No question. I think Wayne Kiffin will self-scout. I think they they have very talented pieces. And Derrick Henry, Kenyon Drake, and Bo Scarborough. But the cool thing about Scarborough and Kenyon is they can also be using the receiver as receivers in the passing game. And I think both, both Scarborough and uh, Kenyon Drake will make plays uh, as receivers, and I think they're going to help that wide receiver group take the pressure off them and then get, make it easier on the, in their eyes to make plays. And also with the production, hopefully, from O.J. Howard, and this year for him is crucial as a junior. Yep, it is, and uh, it's it's good to know that a guy like Johnny Dwight is getting a shot at maybe helping him seal the edge on running plays since they've had to move Brandon Green back to tackle. Swapping over to defense, uh, does anybody in, in the league have the type of depth and talent up front that Alabama does, especially in the front, front four? No. Nobody in college football does, in my opinion. When Deshaun Hand is third string, you're loaded, period. Well, he seems to be making a move. I think he might be second string by the Wisconsin game. Well, even if he is, uh, that just shows you there will be a very talented player behind him. Um, and then you'll, you'll have guys like D.J. Petway, uh, like John Allen, like you know Jonathan Taylor. Darren Lake seems to be playing much better football. Uh, you know, I, I think – I just think overall, and and even O.J. Smith, another red shirt, from what I understand, the as expected, the defensive line passes the look test and is definitely a, a big-time unit. Ashawn Robinson teaching this week in practice uh, the proper technique for uh, Jonathan Taylor to use. And right now, if uh, if Ashawn has the kind of year he's capable of, Kerry, he'll be a high first-rounder in, in the NFL draft. Oh, he's a guy that... Alabama fans need to treasure this final year. Uh, be interesting to see what kind of year he has, what kind of year John Allen has. Uh, Ashawn, you know, you mentioned him. And when a guy we didn't mention yet, how big was it for him to get Jaron Reed back for his last year? No doubt about that. Jaron made a business decision, I think a wise one. Uh, he'll be a crucial piece to this team's puzzle. He's a very, very good player. Uh, I think uh, I, I felt like, from the Florida game on, he was probably Alabama's most consistent defensive lineman. Uh, he against the pass and the run, he brought it. I think it'll be hard to handle this year. Could play all three line positions, and I think I would be shocked if he's not an All-American. There was a hope going into the spring, and it, it hadn't been dashed yet. But there was a hope going into the spring that with Reggie Ragland taking over as the signal caller, that Reuben Foster might be able to step into a starting role. But right now. The person that's uh, running with the ones next to Reggie is, is not Reuben. It's Sean Deion Hamilton. Yeah, you know, Reuben's continued to have injury issues, and I think mental retention issues. Sean Deion Hamilton is a uh, valedictorian of his high school class. is very smart. 
has always done things the right way. And, and as you said, right now, Sean Dion has the position over Ruben Foster. So Alabama is going to have to step it up, and I think they will. And uh, the bottom line is I think that there's a lot of good talent on the team, uh, a lot of good – I think Reggie Ragland can have a monster year. And then you add into the a fact that uh, he, 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 he's all, he, that he, he, he's, he's already he's going to add signal caller duties to his to his uh, his list of accomplishments. I think it's going to help him in the NFL draft. And the guy I really liked watching him drill so far, Terry, he looks like he's gained a little weight. And I always thought he was underrated. Is Keith Holcomb? Keith is a guy that they can foresee taking over for Reggie. They can groom him to be a Mike. When they signed him, we thought he'd be a, 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 a you know, a Jack or, or a Sam. But apparently, they wanted to run the Mike and be able to, to run the defense for the next three years after Reggie leaves. That's a great point by you. Uh, and you know, you and I have been puzzled throughout the last couple of years. Both of us have been puzzled as to how Dizdale Duvall held on to his job. Well, he's out with an injury this spring. Who do you feel will be stepping up at the Jack position? Well, I really think you got to watch Ryan Anderson, who's now number 22. He switched numbers, uh, the former Daphne Trojan. I, I think he had a very productive season last year when given an opportunity. I think Rayshon Evans and Tim Williams are two great athletes that you need to keep an eye on. And don't forget Christian Miller. He's finally gained some weight, and he's a really long kid. And I, I talked to an Alabama coach who, who, has had, had, who has been really impressed thus far with Tosh Lupoy. And I asked him what was going to be the thing he would bring to Alabama, and he all the exact thing he said was he brings some ninjutsu type different techniques. He goes different to the way he teaches. He said we are going to affect the quarterback in a different way, and he didn't mean in a bad way. So a ninjutsu would be a ninja who practices jujitsu. Basically, uh, in other words, a little coaching, something that under the previous position coach, I think he was more worried about other activities than getting enough production out of his uh, position group. I'm glad you mentioned Rashawn Evans, uh, a friend of this show, who's, who was with us for a, one of the best segments we ever had on this show. Absolutely. Uh, he, he can play the jack, but he can also play several other positions. And so I want to ask you specifically uh, what you see his role being and, and how you see the little used, unless they're in base defense, Sam linebacker shaking out. Well, I think right now the Sam would be Dylan Lee, who's played a lot of football, but I think he's versatile enough to play also will and slide inside. He can cover out in space. I think right, right now Rashawn Evans, is they're still working on him mentally picking up the defense, but I can see him as a pass rusher on third down in the rabbit package, as well as Tim Williams. Surely to goodness he will be on the field instead of Denzel Duvall, no disrespect, who has not really rushed the passer well in the last couple of years. But we all saw what Xavier Dixon did when the money was on the table. He played much better as a senior than he had the previous two seasons. Hopefully the same thing will happen with Denzel. We also should note, tragically, I think I recently lost his grandfather. But I think Denzel should be healthy in the fall. And he's a solid guy, but I just think he doesn't bring the explosion or the playmaking ability of any of the three, of Ryan Anderson, Tim Williams, or Rayshon Evans. You know, I, I think I read an article, and you can back me up on this, but I think I read an article where Reggie Ragland had a little bit of a heart-to-heart with Tim Williams. Yeah, you know, he's too talented to not be playing. He needs to get in the playbook. He needs to learn his assignments. He's already a junior. Uh, it's time to play. Time to put up numbers. Time to do your job. 
and uh, he has not done that. Uh, he's been inconsistent, been in the doghouse, needs to finally, you know, step up, mature, and kind of do what Kenyon Drake's done, uh, become a team leader, become somebody they can count on. And Rashawn Evans, he's gotten stronger in the weight room. He's, he's definitely gotten thicker, carry, and that's a scary situation because he's a freak athlete. He just needs to know uh, what he's doing mentally, and I think uh, he will he will come on like gangbusters, and I think he'll be a big-time uh, pass rusher in the fall. Safe to say Alabama will be putting a little more heat on the quarterbacks this year? Well, I, I think so, but they did a good job last year, kid. They had over 30-some-odd sacks. It was much better than the year before, but I just think the talent level is there to get even more pressure on the QB and with a change in coaching. Could they have 40 sacks, which would be one of the best in America? I think it's something you should, you should look forward to. I think the material is there. And then I think Bo Davis made a big, you know, difference with the DL, and now he's got most of his guys back in the, in the second year of his teachings. And with the addition of Jonathan Taylor, I think the group will be even better. You mentioned uh, the great early reviews from Nick Saban and the players on Mel Tucker. Uh, one of the people Mel Tucker is going to be coaching this year is a guy who's been a solid contributor, Maurice Smith. Someone ran to him at the mall the other day and said that his body looks completely changed it looks a little bit more like a strong safety than you did before. Yeah, and he needs he needs to uh, he needs he needed to add weight and get bigger and stronger. He's somebody that has a chance. This is his he's a he's a junior as well. He needs to grab the bull by the horns. He had the stupid taunting penalty in the bowl game, but he's someone that was heavily recruited out of Texas. is a very good player, and now has a chance to play a prominent role in the defense. And uh, this is his time to shine. And a lot of these young guys in the secondary need to be hungry. And with a new voice in Maury, in Maury, in excuse me, Mel Tucker, I think Alabama's secondary it's going to be the the most watched position on the defense because there's the most questions there. Uh, but I still think the talent level is there to be good. They just need to fit the pieces together. Right, and that's the whole. That's why you have spring practices. You only get 15 of them, and you have to take full advantage of all of them. Um, but uh, we've had another good show. Uh, I, w- I want to thank our guests tonight, uh, Roger Myers, for giving us another great outlook on baseball. Uh, and we've since learned that they will play a doubleheader tomorrow. There will be no Alabama Florida game on TV tonight. Uh, I want to thank Big Head Barbecue for sponsoring our hotline and, and for sponsoring the catering in our tent, which will be on full display at A-Day. For those of you that follow me on Twitter, at CCBama, I retweeted a picture that someone took of the triple threat, which is uh, – pork wrapped in bacon uh, with a little bit of sausage in the middle and you take some of that uh, homemade Big Heads barbecue sauce and sprinkle it on there and then you get some good stuff. Uh, you can go to their website, uh, bigheadsbbq.net and uh, you can also check them out on Twitter at bigheadsbbq. We also want to thank Tay uh, Tockman and the folks at Asian Rim for sponsoring Roger's call tonight. Uh, Asian Rim is located on Gallatin Street in Huntsville. It's also located in the Colonnade Shopping Plaza in Birmingham. If you like Thai food or if you like American food, if you like food, period, check out Asian Rim with Paige Hockman and Roy Hockman, your hosts there. Uh, I want to thank Thomas Watts for doing another bang-up job producing back in the studio. He's with Touchdown Alabama Magazine. I want to thank my co-host Drew Armand of Alabama Intel who brought it strong this week as he does every week with views on recruiting, uh, basketball coaching search, and football spring practice. And uh, I am your co-host Kerry Clark with BamaMag.com, a subsidiary of Scout.com. Uh, as uh, things are going in the basketball game, uh, Alabama 30. fans are keeping a close watch. Give us that score before we go. 
37-36. Notre Dame is has been cut to one with 17 minutes to go, so we're going to have a classic ending. And I also want to thank uh, Paige Hawkman. It was an honor meeting her last week for the first time in person. Very sweet lady. Great. She did a great job hosting us with her hospitality and look forward to eating at Asian Rim again. And I encourage all the listeners to definitely uh, partake in uh, visiting Asian Rim, either in Huntsville or Birmingham. Great food, great hospitality, and uh, some of the best wings you're ever going to have. We're running out of time, but thanks for listening to BAMS Radio, a member of the BAMA Sports Radio family. Good night and roll tide.